Join us for part two of our conversation with archaeologist Ted Wright. Ted Wright has been featured on both CNN and the History Channel, and he's been discussing with us the archaeo- uh, how archaeology uh, compares and con- how, com- how it compares and tells us about the biblical record, and in many ways confirms much of what we hear about or read about in the biblical text. Join us now for part two of our conversation with Ted Wright on today's edition of the Bellator Christie Podcast. Not happen, or we don't. Uh, the evidence is inconclusive at this time. But for the most part, uh, the Bible has been confirmed historically uh, again and again and again. And then, of course, uh, it eliminates the text. It clarifies the text as well. Absolutely, and I think you know, as as you were uh, mentioning that, it, my mind went back to again the. Uh, at least in popular society in the secular world that you know there's this anti-supernatural bias and and if you give the bible credence then boy i tell you you talk about shaking someone's worldview uh to the core a lot of times that that does well i'd say all the time that would you know if you affirm um the things that the bible what the bible is saying is true uh Changing well before we change gears off of the Exodus, uh, I'd like to get your opinion uh, on a couple of things, and then we're we're going to move on to uh, some archaeology that you've mentioned that confirms Christmas, uh, as this is the Christmas season. Uh, but before we do that, let me get your opinion. Where do you think is there is there a location? Uh, around the Red Sea, of course, some people have postulated it. It could have been uh, could have been the uh, Sea of Reeds or the Reed Sea. Uh, is there a location that you believe that the uh, Hebrews or the Israelites crossed over a body of water into on onto the other side? And is there a particular area that matches uh, the biblical account of Mount Sinai? Um, that's a great question. It's a loaded question because <laughs> it has a lot of uh, a lot of different answers. Uh, some of them are controversial, uh, but yes, to answer your question, uh, the area that I like, and I'm not sure if you're familiar. Obviously, you've got the the, the triangular peninsula called the Sinai, and in between those, you have the two fingers of the Red Sea. You've got the Gulf of Suez and the Gulf of Aqaba. The Gulf of Aqaba is on the right, or on the east, rather. And on the west, near Egypt, is the Gulf of Suez. Uh, now, there's a lot of different debate scholarship as to exactly where it is. Uh, but I will say this. Um, I will say that I do not believe, based on textual, archaeological, historical, geographical considerations, I do not think that the Red Sea is the reed, the Sea of Reeds in the north in the Goshen area. Um, I personally believe, and I'm not dogmatic about it, but I really, I really find fascinating an area um, across from Saudi Arabia called Nueva, Nueva, uh, Nueva Beach, which is basically, uh, when you go back to the text itself, you again, always go to the text, as, as my mentor and colleague uh, at SES, Tom Howe, would say, what does the text say? <laughs> right. What does the text act? We always go back to the text. And what does the text say? The text tells us basically that as the Israelites left, as they were, as they were leaving out of Egypt, and obviously in the Sinai, 
there were Egyptian garrisons in the Sinai. So they're not going to camp out there. They're not going to stay in the Sinai. They're going to go to where? They're going to go to Midian. They're going to go to Midian, which is where Moses... In fact, at, at very, going all the way back to Exodus chapter 3, uh, when God spoke to Moses on the burning bush, um, God, he says, you know, well, how, long, how, long I'm gonna, how am I going to know that you're with me? He goes, you will bring the Israelites back to this spot. In other words, you're going to come back to the place where I spoke to you, the burning bush, which is in Midian. So there's some different debate about where Midian was. But based on a lot of historical consideration, uh, I think there's some good arguments can be made that Midian is in Saudi, what is now modern Saudi Arabia. So if that is the case, then that means that the Israelites would have been in a spot where they had their back to the Egyptians, and they had their, where they were headed was going to be away from Egypt into a spot where they could actually worship God and be where Moses was in Midian. Where he received the team, where he eventually is going to see the Ten Commandments, and so that spot is on the uh, it's on the western bank of the Gulf of Aqaba, about midway through. So if you look at the finger of the Gulf of Aqaba, about midway through, there is a big, large expanse of land, or actually a, a sandy beach, and around that beach there is a uh, it's called a wadi, uh, W-A-D-I, and it's basically a wadi is like a dry riverbed. So it was, imagine like a huge, gigantic canyon, sandy floor. Now, now it, the text says, go back to the text, it says that the Egyptian army was behind them, and the sea, the Suf, Yom Suf, was in front of them, the sea. Mm. And they had nowhere to go. In fact, the, the, the Israelites were like, we're, we're going to die. We're, you brought us here to die. And so that's the spot that I think is interesting that I tend to think is very, the very likely spot. I'm not dogmatic about it, but it certainly seems like the spot. As far as Mount Sinai, I know there's been some conjecture and some research and some study is being done, and there's different theories. Uh, honestly, the ones that I've seen, I'm just not convinced. They, they're all a stretch to me. Uh, but the one that I think is interesting is the one over across in the way of each in Saudi Arabia called Jabal al-Laws, which is, some people believe it's in Saudi Arabia, and I tend to lean toward that theory, um, that Mount Sinai might be in modern Saudi Arabia. So the place where they cross over, or, or excuse me, the, so Mount Sinai and a lot of these events as they cross over would be in the, in the general region of Saudi Arabia, what is modern Saudi Arabia, is that correct? And uh, there's a lot of interesting things that uh, that are that surround that mountain in Saudi Arabia. <clears throat> it's burned on the top, uh, which is exactly what the biblical text says. Uh, in the back of it, there is a huge, tall, split rock called, well, what the biblical record calls it, Yerafadim, where water issued forth from the rock. Uh, there's uh, at the base of this mountain in Saudi Arabia, there are there are <clears throat> rock formations, twelve twelve pillars. Um, it's marked <laughs> off. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, somebody could have obviously planted that, um, but there's just a lot of interesting coincidences that surround the site. There's also an altar site right at the base of it that actually have, uh, contained petroglyphs of, of Egyptian apis bulls. We know that the Israelites, when they, when Moses went up to the, to the top of the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, 
the Israelites and Aaron were building a golden calf, and at the base of this mountain in Saudi Arabia, there is a huge altar that's surrounded now concurrently. It's surrounded by a barbed wire fence and off limits to any visitors because of the archaeological sensitivity. It's in Arabic and English, these, these warning signs in Saudi Arabia. Wow. And uh, there have been many people who have come out. I know there have been some controversial people, people that I don't necessarily think are the, the best, most trustworthy archaeologists, but like Ron Wyatt. But there have been other people who have been there, um, uh, people maybe familiar with Bob Cornuke and others who have been to the site, and they confirm that this indeed, and, and not just Bob Cornuke, but many others as well, uh, certainly one that uh, should be considered as a possible site. Now, we can't be dogmatic about it, but, uh, but the one site, if, if people go to Israel today and they go to the, they go to, they go to the Sinai region, they go to the, to the uh, monastery of St. Catharines in Sinai, that is the traditional place of where, Mount, where, where the ancient Christians believed Mount Sinai was. But that actually came from uh, Constantine the Great's mother, Helena, uh, in the 4th century A.D. But there wasn't any archaeology or any historical sources in fact, this is where monasticism began. It began in the, in the, Sinai, uh, in the Sinai Desert uh, in the 4th century. So uh, some monk or some, some desert ascetic person had some type of visual vision or mystical experience out there. So, uh, so it's, in fact, it's the oldest, one of the oldest monasteries and oldest libraries in the world, the Library of St. Catherine's Monastery in, in the Sinai Peninsula. But there's not any, any archaeological evidence at all of any kind of, of exodus or any kind of... Uh, uh, you know, artifacts or anything like that at this site. And there have been other sites given as well, but I just don't, I just find them personally, find them unconvincing. Well, I tell you, this, <laughs> this is so fascinating. I, I've told some buddies of mine uh, who, who, uh, who go down to the National Conference on Christian Apologetics that, that I, I love the, I love the science, uh, lectures that they have the sessions but me I, i'm really drawn really especially drawn to the history uh the historical side of apologetics and this is just well i tell you this is just fascinating to me and i could just talk all day about this uh but, but as we change gears we have about uh looks like 10 15 minutes left uh i'd like to change gears you mentioned something about archaeology concerning christmas i mean we are here in the throes of the christmas season and you said that there is some archaeology that confirms some of the things that we learn about uh, concerning the birth of Christ. Uh, would you share some of those archaeological discoveries? Absolutely, uh, Brian. I'd be glad to. Yeah, it, it's interesting. You know, uh, the Exodus. Uh, you know, we wouldn't think that the Exodus would be connected to the Christmas story, but it actually is. Because it, let me just go back to the Exodus for a second. Um, the in the Old Testament. The Exodus is the greatest salvation event in the history of the Old Testament. Mm. It's the greatest salvation event. There is no, I mean, the rest of the Old Testament looks back to the Exodus. The Exodus is the one that is referred to again and again. It's not just a movie, it's an actual event. Right. In which, you know, it's symbolic. In fact, uh, you know, I would say this, that, uh, you know, Christ is predicted in type and prophecy in the Bible in the Old Testament. So it's not just, um, you know, uh, it's not just some, some type of, uh, you know, made-up story. It, it does have symbolism, but it also has reality to it as well. Right. So, um, so 
the Exodus, you know, and all that points to the Passover lamb, you know, the, the deliverer, even the Pharaoh who, you know, when Moses was born, um, you know, is going to try to prevent, uh, you know, Moses from being, you know, the deliverer or whatever, being born, he issues the death of all the firstborn male in Egypt, you know, um, and so there's mentioned parallels between the Exodus and the birth of Christ. And uh, so we come to uh, Luke chapter 2, in which we read about this man named Herod the Great. And uh, when Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, uh, obviously Israel was a nation that was occupied by imperial Rome. And um, Rome ultimately controlled all the eastern Mediterranean at the time. And uh, Israel did have uh, a king. In fact, uh, he was even called king of the Jews. That man was Herod the Great, or Herod the First. Herod leads very largely in the, in the history of the time of Jesus and his birth. In fact, I would even say that Judaism, as it was practiced in Jesus' day, uh, couldn't really be fully and truly understood apart from Herod's influence. Now, archaeology gives us, Brian, a, a really clear picture of this infamous king. And I'll just kind of summarize it because I know we're kind of running out of time here. But archaeology gives us a really interesting picture of Herod the Great when the time, during the time of the birth of Christ. Um, he was given the king of, the title King of Judea, if you, people I may not realize this, by the Roman Senate in about 40 B.C. on the advice of Mark Anthony. Now, Mark Anthony was a, uh, an ally of Herod, and Herod was an ally of Mark Anthony. And obviously, we know that Mark Anthony ended up uh, dying in the Battle of Actium in 32 B.C. with Cleopatra. Uh, and then uh, Octavian then becomes the sole ruler of the Roman Empire. But Anthony uh, considered Herod to be the most capable man of prying Judea from the hands of, uh, at that time, a, a Hasmonean prince named Antigonus, as well as a nation called the Parthians. Both of these, these Hasmoneans that were Jewish in background uh, and this other nation called the Parthians, they wanted control of the region, and the Romans wanted it. So they considered Herod the guy, Mark Anthony considered Herod the guy to do this, and sure, sure, certainly enough, he did. Uh, and so they, so as as uh, Herod defeated these two kingdoms, the Parthians as well as uh, the Hasmonean prince, uh, with Rome's help, of course, he established his own power in the area, and he became king of the Jews. And so, but interestingly enough, uh, Herod was not Jewish; he was an Edomian. Um, hmm. from Idumea, which is uh, modern-day uh, Jordan. If you look at uh, where the Jordan is to, to the south, it was consisted of something called the Edomites. These were uh, Arabs, Jews, Nabataeans, and the Nabataeans are the ones who built Petra, ancient Petra. So this was the, this was the uh, homeland of Herod the Great. Um, now, Christians primarily know Herod through the Christmas story is recorded in Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew's account, Herod learns of the birth of Jesus through the wise men, or the Magi, uh, very likely from Persia. The Magi, the wise men, witnessed some astronomical event in the east, and they somehow connected it to the birth of Israel's promised Messiah. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, uh, some conjecture about that. Some people say that maybe uh, the wise men came from Babylon, and maybe they read the book of Daniel. Maybe they read some of Daniel's writings. No way, we don't really know for sure, but somehow they connected these wise men, connected the birth of Christ with this astronomical event. And we know it is a known fact historically that Herod was a tyrannical, murderous uh, monarch. In fact, he even killed his own family. Uh, he thought that they were going to stand in his way. Uh, in fact, he, at one point he had 2,000 survivors of five cities murdered, killed, that rebelled against him. 
Yeah, his brother-in-law drowned. He executed his uncle, his wife's grandfather, his wife, his mother-in-law, three of his sons. He also murdered uh, many of his servants, friends, soldiers, uh, relatives, uh, many times on flimsy evidence that was concocted. So he was a pretty evil guy. Right. Um, now, what we know about him, and we know through the biblical record, he's also confirmed, Brian, through archaeology and through history. Now, Josephus does give us uh, some interesting uh, things about his death. Now, we know, obviously, uh, that Mary and Joseph were warned in a dream that uh, Jesus was being threatened by, uh, you know, from, by, by the king. And so they're warned to flee to go to Egypt. Interestingly enough, they go to Egypt. <laughs> they go down to Egypt, and they leave out of Egypt. So, again, this connection between the Exodus and what's going on there, there's a lot of, of amazing symbolism that's going on. But in the, in the Antiquities of the Jews, Josephus records that Herod died in 4 B.C. It also notes that Herod was buried in Herodium, uh, which is one of the several desert fortresses that Herod built uh, because he feared the Jews would rise up against him. Interestingly, Herod did not fear the Romans because obviously he was buddy-buddy with them. He feared the Jews. He feared the Jews would rise up against him. That's why he built all these fortresses. Um, So, and again, in Matthew chapter 2, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life were dead. So, so interestingly, we we see uh, archaeologically that the Christmas story is grounded in a, in a very firm historical time frame uh, of Herod the Great. Now, there's more to it than that, but I know we don't have time to get into it, but uh, just, just so the listeners will know, I mean, the New Testament is filled with literally hundreds of historical references to, to, to people, places, events, cities, uh, kings, rulers, and all of these have been confirmed through archaeology or through history. So. Uh, we've got some really, really strong evidence uh, from the New Testament time period that these events happened in a in a very, very strong historical setting. These are not just stories that are made up out of thin air. Now, and one quick thing, one last final thing, as uh, as time's ticking away, it's hard to believe <laughs> that our time is has uh, already gotten away. But um, December twenty fifth, is there a claim? Uh, either to the birth of Christ or to something happening. We were talking about this before the before the podcast. Uh, is there something connected with the Christmas story on December twenty fifth uh, that we know for sure or or fairly certain of? Yes, that's a great question, Brian. We were talking about this earlier. Yeah, before the podcast, we were just kind of chit chat talking. And um, what I was what I was telling you, explaining you about one of the one of the top scholars in this field um, is a. Gentleman, uh, scholar by the name of Dr. Harold Honer at Dallas Seminary. He wrote a book called uh, Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ. And uh, so there's there's a couple of I mean scholars, conservative scholars by by general. There's there's a couple of dates. I mean nobody knows for sure exactly of the of the birth of Christ. And Dr. Honer did his dissertation on this subject on these and historical. He did a lot of there's a ton of historical data on this, and he used um, all kinds of different dating and things like that. Uh, there's a couple other good books on chronology. Chronology has to do with the exact calendar date. And whenever we get into ancient history, it's, it's sort of difficult to get an exact calendar date. But specifically to the, to the date of December 25th, uh, I was mentioning to you earlier 
Um, some of the listeners may be familiar with this, and you can go to Amazon to get it. Um, I think you can get the DVD. I'm not sure you can download the video file. But several years ago, there was a layman uh, lawyer who actually uh, plugged in some of these conservative dates into a, an astronomical database, and actually an astronomy software program. Uh, the astronomy software program is called Redshift, and what it does is it takes into account uh, Kepler's laws of planetary motion. So what that means is that, in, in, in layman's terms, you can basically get plug in a date. You can just say, let's say April of 4 BC, and you can plug that date in, and you can go to anywhere in the world. Like you can say, okay, I'm going to be in uh, Paris, France, April 4 BC. What did the sky look like in the east? And it will tell you based. This is all based on mathematics based on, I mean, it's science, it's mathematical precision, it's astronomy. So, I mean, obviously the stars, they don't change, and we know that the Earth's spinning on its axis and all these things. So Kepler had these laws, and there's these, these are really, they make them very precise. They're, so in other words, the universe is like a giant clock. Like the Bible says in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, or in the creation account, God set the stars in the heavens to, to be a clock, a big giant clock. That's what, what they, really what they are. So all that to say... When this gentleman, it's called, uh, by the way, the name of the video is called the Bethlehem Star. And this lawyer plugged in the date of what happened, what, what historical, or is, is there anything interesting, interesting that happened around the time of Christ's birth? And what he discovered was that, what, what he was trying to find out was what, was there any kind of star over Bethlehem and around this time frame? And what he discovered was, the date that this, it's, in other words, it's a, something called, it's a Jupiter goes into retrograde motion over Bethlehem in December 25th. Wow. And it's, <laughs> it's fascinating. So he places the wise men visiting Jesus and Mary and Joseph. By the way, he's several months old by now. He's not a baby. He's, you know, obviously he's back from, He's back from uh, from Egypt because they go to Egypt because the obviously you know Herod's trying to to kill all the babies and now that he's dead, Jesus, it's safe for them to go back. So when he goes back, and I forgot the exact date that uh, on the video from Bethlehem Star, but it's based on one of these conservative dates, and I want to say it's something around of uh, three or four BC around that time frame. But the date is is, is December twenty fifth is when the three wise men would have visited the baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph. And, it's, and, and they didn't know, he didn't know that date. It just turns out that that's exactly the date. It would have been December 25th, something like 3 BC. It's when the three wise men would have visited. Because it's based on astronomy. It's not based on, I mean, this was discovered just a few years ago. It wasn't even known about. So um, obviously early Christians, where, where, why did they begin to worship Jesus on December 25th? I'm not, I'm not exactly sure the reason why. I know there's some, probably some good uh, evidence of that uh, elsewhere through church history. Um, probably, I'm going to guess, probably in around the 4th or 3rd or 4th century uh, A.D., which is one in the time of Constantine the Great, and his mother began to mark some of the holy places. But yeah, so the December 25th date is the date in which it is believed by some and including myself, I have a leaning toward that, that that is when the wise men visited the baby Jesus on December 25th. Do you have a particular date that you favor as far as potentially being the birth date of Christ? I don't, Bob. I 
it's several years ago. You know, archaeology is a huge subject, and I've got I've got several books in my library on it. And uh, I was doing a little bit of research on it, putting together some lecture notes, and I had some dates I was really, really, uh, really looking at. Uh, and I just off the top of my head, I can't think of it right now. I don't I really, I can't really definitively say, you know, which which date I kind of have a leaning toward. But I do think that the astronomy. I mean, when you look at astronomy, you can't. Uh, the thing about that is that it gives you an exact date because you can't, uh, you know, at that time they didn't have the twenty fifth back in Jesus' day because the right. calendar did not exist yet. But as it turns out, because it's based on astronomy, then uh, you can you can come, you can pinpoint a date pretty precisely. But I would just say, you know, we, you know, you don't have to really have the exact date. I mean, some people want to have precision. I mean, yes, we, it's great to have absolute certainty and exact date. But that's that's few and far between. I mean, there's it's a rare occasion we have an exact date, especially when you go further back in time. But what we have is we have a really, really good, strong historical record and archaeological record that really, really backs up what the biblical record says as far as these major events that happened in the life of Christ. Amen. And that's the most important thing. And folks, I'm going to tell you, we I've had some uh, conversations with some folks online and talking about... Uh, the, the the fact that there's evidence backing up uh, the biblical record and and I don't know I I hope you have been as blessed uh, from this podcast as I've been because boy I'm telling you we have a faith that gives us hope uh, not just because we wish it to be true uh, but because there's historical evidence backing up the claims of the Bible and so uh, we want to thank Ted Wright for being with us today boy I'm tell you what brother I hope we can get you back on here very soon I have thoroughly enjoyed this. <laughs> Sorry to talk your ear off. Oh, no, you're, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it, and I know our listeners have as well. For Ted Wright, this has been Brian Chilton. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast. We'll see you back next time. up all night or up with the sun whether you're a weekend warrior or an everyday hero whether you hail from homeschool or old school whether you're hands-free or hands-on 
wherever you come from, wherever you're going, and for everything in between, Liberty University is the place for you. The nation's largest private nonprofit online educator.